Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to another episode of the Frontline of Alzheimer's Care. I'm Dr. Richard Isaacson, and here with me today to help answer these questions are Drs. Gayatri Devi and Pierre Terrio. We have some very important questions from Dr. Paul Stander and nurse practitioner Ms. Michelle Gregaitis Reyes about the safety of anti-amyloid therapies. I'm aware that there are potential bleeding complications with the use of these medications. So I'm just wondering, are you avoiding prescribing these medications in patients who require anticoagulants or antiplatelet medications for other medical conditions they may have? The Alzheimer's disease and related dementias therapeutic work group, as well as the American Academy of Neurology guidelines for the use of lecanemab, they both recommend risk discussions regarding those results, whereas the VA criteria for use identifies the E4 homozygote as exclusionary. So I'm interested in what circumstance would you recommend lecanemab to the E4 homozygote patient? Well, these are, you know, really relevant and I would also say really challenging questions. In our practice, we are very cautious. When it comes to anticoagulants, I have not personally put any patients on anticoagulants. And, you know, we just actually, Dr. Devi and I co-manage a patient who had a stroke, an embolic stroke during their course of the anti-amyloid treatment. And they also had some arrhythmia potentially that were actually, as we speak, working up. What do we do? Antiplatelets don't treat embolic stroke, but they may be safer, of course, than an anticoagulant. And anticoagulants, you know, would probably have to stop the anti-amyloid drugs. And the patient doesn't really want to do that because the patient's doing okay. So these are really complicated questions. And that's, you know, a general part of my thoughts. When it comes to, you know, guidelines related to E4 homozygotes being exclusionary for the VA, you know, that's tricky. I really believe that, you know, if you fully follow the FDA, you know, label and you titrate as the studies did, sure, there is an increased risk of, you know, side effects and adverse events and possibly death. But maybe in E4-4s, that plan should be modified. And that's really what we do with precision medicine. Someone has a specific gene and you tailor that therapy. You personally tailor the therapy for that person. Maybe you start with a lower dose of the drug and you have a slower titration and then you have more frequent MRI monitoring. So I wouldn't necessarily say that E4-4s would be exclusionary, especially with lecanemab, which is you know, hard to cross compare, but lecanemab may be among the more safer, well-tolerated anti-amyloid drugs when it comes to these side effects. Dr. Devi, you do this every day. We've worked on this together pretty closely. What are your thoughts about approaches to ARIA risk factors and prescribing strategies? So I actually don't have a hard and fast rule about antiplatelets or anticoagulants and the use of the anti-amyloid agents. Generally speaking, I avoid them. However, I do have a patient in my practice who we've decided to put on medication and titrate up very slowly. Great. Dr. Terrio, any comments? So I'll add three brief points. Number one, remember that trials conducted to achieve health authority approval for marketing don't fully inform practice. So we need data from the field, from people like Dr. Debbie, Dr. Isaacson, and phase four studies to fill in these gaps. Related to that, I'd like to just note that the Dunanimab phase three program did allow anticoagulants and antiplatelet agents and didn't actually see a relationship between that treatment and adverse events. So we just need more data. Lastly, 
the people in our hands who have the greatest risk for aria are people who have cerebral amyloid angiopathy at baseline. The trouble is there's no good biomarker for that. So probably the best you can do these days is be super careful with you and your neuroradiologist about establishing whether or not there are microhemorrhages at baseline. And if they're more than four, that's probably somebody who shouldn't get this therapy. Well, thanks so much. It was a very comprehensive answer to two very important questions. Really appreciate Dr. Stander and Ms. Garagitis Reyes for raising these critical considerations. Viewers can check out our other episodes to hear more key questions about the clinical use of amyloid targeting therapies. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Medical Education Resources, MER, and Efficient LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.